had enough of the been there, done that ideas, tired of too much talk and so little action. Rewind now and welcome to Transformation and Change Radio with Dr. Kathy O'Bear, where the vision of true equity, inclusion, courage, and purpose meet powerfully. Dr. Kathy delivers with dynamic, engaging conversation and the most authentically brave dialogue on air today. This hit show will challenge you to explore current issues of diversity, equity, and inclusion and deepen your capacity to choose courage to speak up to greater inclusion in everything you do. Fasten your seatbelts and accelerate your effectiveness to become a powerful change agent in your life, community, job, and society. Imagine true equity and inclusion and get the tools to really manifest your vision. No frills, no fluff, just really powerful, good stuff. Transformation and Change Radio starts now. Good day. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear. You're listening to Transformation and Change Radio, and I'm particularly excited about this Monday radio show. Today I'm going to talk about designing and facilitating whiteness, affinity spaces, and organizations, some strategies to really deepen the capacity of whites to be true change agents, accomplices. So this is part one. And literally this morning on LinkedIn, someone wrote and said, so what do you mean by whiteness affinity spaces? And I realized it is jargony. You may call them white caucuses, white affinity groups, accountability spaces, white employee resource groups, white business groups. The challenge I have is, when we're there, what I'm really talking about is how to get people who are white and people who are biracial, multiracial, with some white heritage. So it's a space open for anyone that wanting to look at whiteness and white skin privilege. So if I just call them white caucuses, it feels exclusionary. But the other reason I'm beginning to realize I want to call them whiteness spaces is that's what we're addressing. It's not individual whites only that we're trying to help to deepen their capacity. We're really skilling up all kinds of leaders and change agents to look at the culture and the climate and how the white culture, whiteness, white supremacy culture, institutional racism, all of these have become embedded as the right way, the only way, and continue to privilege whites and people with white skin privilege and to create barriers for folks of color, indigenous folks, multiracial, biracial folks in general, particularly with medium and dark skin. So... Put on your seatbelts. I have a lot to talk about as we're focusing on dismantling oppression and the oppressive system with a race lens. Now, I probably would never have chosen to attend a white caucus on my own. When I was in my doctoral work at the University of Massachusetts, I was already doing diversity training on my own as a full-time consultant. And I knew there was racism, and I knew that, that there were bad whites. Now, this is my thinking at the time. You know, racist whites, the KKK, the White Citizens Council. I grew up in the 60s, so I saw that in the 70s. The whites, particularly in Boston, just screaming and protesting, trying to disrupt integration. So that was my image of what whites were. Now, I kind of knew I was white, but I really didn't know what it meant to be white because I was like, I'm not like them. I don't intentionally say and do racist things. I don't intentionally try to keep people of color down or out. In fact, I work hard to be kind and nice and polite to people of color. And, and I was trained to be a teacher, and by then I'd been working in higher ed, and now I'm full-time consulting. So I was really trying to help those people of color listen to my offensive language, move up, be successful, help them learn what they needed to learn to thrive in organizations. Now, that language may still be used today, but I know I was coming from a deficit framing. 
believing that the white way, whites were superior and better. I couldn't have told you that, and I would have denied it to my death. But that folks of color were deficit, didn't know as much. And I don't think that attitude has shifted a lot around most whites uh, in 2020. So I went along doing my diversity training. I include race as one of many topics. But I never centered it, never did much deep work. I clearly was not talking about the role of whites in dismantling racism and talking about white privilege, talking about whiteness and white culture, because I still saw anti-racism work, and that's what I called it then, as the work of people of color and indigenous folks. Just like I had started out doing anti-homophobia work, anti-sexism work, that it was the people in the marginalized identities that were supposed to do all the leadership and all the work. So my first experience of a white caucus was in an early graduate program. I was like 1989 or so. And it was one of the first white spaces I'd ever been in. It was part of a racism weekend, whole 16 hours of work, cross-race, cross-indigenous status and colonial status. So I was good about talking about race and racism when I first learned to be white, so long as we were mostly in mixed groups and the full group. But when they said we had to move into caucus, I just remember the sinking feeling as I walked over and went into the room and I looked around and everybody identified as white. And they wanted us to talk about white culture and white privilege. And I did everything I do to stay invisible and silent and under the radar and just look at my watch waiting at the time I could get back to the full group so I could learn from the people of color. Now, I'm sharing this because I think whites listening can relate, if not still have some of those desires. And a lot of the whites you live and work with and are in community with and you're wherever you live have a similar way that the only way I can learn about race is from people of color, not realizing as we keep asking people of color to teach us and do the work, we're exhausting them and creating all kinds of interpersonal aggression. So I saw no value, no value whatsoever sitting with just white people. I thought whites were boring. I just wanted to hang out with folks of color and be seen as the good whites. Now, my views have changed significantly, and I really want to acknowledge the work that I got to do with my dear friends and colleagues at the Social Justice Training Institute. 1997, we started SJTI. We did the full breadth of differences, and we quickly realized in this five-day intensive institute that we were just skimming the surface. And so in 1998, we revised the Social Justice Training Institute, and ever since, we've been doing in-depth immersion laboratory experiences for about 45 to 50 people from across the country here in the U.S. and a few folks internationally will come, focused on race and dismantling racism, whiteness, white supremacy in organizations and in ourselves. And as we do that, then we're also learning as we pull out and reflect how to do similar dismantling work and liberation work in other areas of oppression. So for over 20 years, I've facilitated two institutes, co-facilitated my colleagues of color each year. I think we're up to 42 or 43. And I've had the honor in each one of SJTIs to facilitate whiteness caucuses. I think we meet three different times. And so I've had the opportunity to learn with other whites and folks of multiracial and biracial with whiteness as a part of their heritage, do my own healing work, find my internalized dominance where I really believe whites were better, smarter, superior, as I really help create the space for others to deepen the capacity to heal, unlearn, and relearn so we can true up, show up truly as partners with folks of color, indigenous peoples, to create true racial justice in everything we do. Easier said than done. But I have witnessed so many whites do their deep healing work, 
They come through SJTI. Now, granted, it's a five-day intentional workshop where they choose to come. But I've seen whites significantly shifted, transformed at their core, come out so passionate with renewed commitment to continue to do their own self-work and healing and to work with other whites, no longer to depend on people of color, learn to partner with them, follow the leadership of, but not seek out, teach me, teach me, and to really learn how to create meaningful institutional change with other whites so that we can then really learn to partner with people of color. Now, I've led caucuses and other impact groups and organizations and national conferences, so I want to share how I have done these so people can realize you can have movement and change even in an eight to ten week white affinity space that you hold. Now, change for some at the individual level. You may not be ready to do institutional organizational change, but we can scaffold these over time to really meet people where they are and deepen their capacity. So I want to share some of my approaches so that when you're thinking about your organization, your community, your schools, how can you help co-lead, convene caucuses, affinity, accountability spaces for white people with white skin privilege? We can no longer wait for someone else to do it, someone else to take the risk, take the lead. The persistent, exacerbated racism, white supremacy in this country, in our organizations, in our communities, it is literally killing our colleagues of color our friends of color, our family members of color, indigenous colleagues and friends and family, spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And so we either have to step up and do our work as whites, accept our responsibility that our silence, our inaction, our ineffectiveness is perpetuating racism each and every moment of each and every day, accept that, or we're actively working to disrupt racism and white supremacy. We're either disrupting it or perpetuating it. We have no other choices today, and I hope you join millions of other white accomplices and partners that are stepping up their game to dismantle racism and white supremacy, create true racial justice for all. Now, white caucuses, whiteness affinity spaces are just one strategy for creating racially just organizations, yet it's a critical one. As most whites and organizations I've worked with now for over 35 years in external consultants often sit back, do nothing, or occasionally will say something just hoping Someone else will do it, and then in the process, they won't get called out as racist themselves. So they'll just sit in white fragility. Now, some organizations try to address issues of race and racism, and they'll start out in mixed race groups. And while that can be useful for some whites, often we whites show up in incredible fragility, resistance, as soon as there's any discomfort, as soon as there's any pushback, as soon as we're asked to look at ourselves. And our ineffective reactions in those mixed-race groups have serious traumatic impact on folks of color. And there are just so many challenges to designing and facilitating workshops on race and racism in mixed groups. Not saying don't do it, but I do think you have to be very intentional and thoughtful and very skilled as facilitators. The one huge obstacle that took me a few decades to really get in my soul is that we whites enter these conversations usually in very low competence and very low willingness and readiness to learn, much less willingness to create change in ourselves and the organization. We want to be seen as a good white, let's go fix others, but to do our self-work, which is critical and necessary before we can be institutional change agents, most whites, I find, have huge resistance. And so you have that dynamic going on, maybe with a few whites scattered in that have begun to do their work and are calling out other whites, but they're often showing up out of that social justice arrogance woke culture calling out instead of relating in and supporting the learning of. 
And then you have most folks of color, indigenous folks, multiracial, biracial folks, entering with far greater capacity. I'm not saying everybody is along there, but they're usually farther along the readiness, willingness, and competence continuum. And so you have this huge mismatch. And then there's so many unproductive patterns that I've noticed in white in these kind of mixed-race trainings, but they also happen in white caucuses. So we have to be aware of those as we plan how to facilitate but in mixed-race groups, our unproductive racist behaviors have a huge impact on folk of color and undermine the learning. And it can set the organization back if you enter and you're not prepared for what could happen. So relate to any of these. You notice the whites quickly will be doing things like, I have my best friend who's Latino, or I adopted a child from uh, Colombia. Or they move into tears. I didn't mean it, or guilt and shame. Shock, I didn't know it. And while whites deserve to have the space to be in all of these feelings and behaviors, doing them in front of folk of color can have a negative impact in interpersonal aggression, unintended possibly, but it's just more repetitive negative dynamics. Many whites will get defensive and start resisting. We get stuck at the individual level. I'm a good one. I didn't mean it. That wasn't my intent. Um, I didn't say that. And we see other whites as the problem, and we think that racism is when we have a hanging noose or someone says, go back to Mexico or uses derogatory racist terms towards indigenous people, people of color. And we're still stuck in the fear, utter deep fear, and like, I'm not racist. And we have to work with whites to move them to a place where they can even begin to have dialogue with people of color. Now, if those dynamics happen in cross-race groups, then when folks of color, indigenous folks, begin to respond, often engaging in a very even-toned, gentle, calm voice to point out unproductive white attitudes, behaviors, racist impact. Now, sometimes folks of color will be a cumulative impact and have a bit more emotion. They may have triggered themselves. But either way, we whites often retreat into deeper fragility, fear, defensiveness, and think or say, you attacked me, and we shut down and focus on how the folks of color reacted and blame them, tone policing, instead of hearing the message, hearing what they said, and really focusing on the racist attitudes and behaviors and unproductive group dynamics they were pointing out. Now, another reason it's challenging to start race working organizations and mixed race groups is there's a significant difference in what's needed given how we enter in our current capacity and willingness. White are in the privileged group, and so we really do need much more education, much more self-work, and really looking at internalized dominance, believing that whites are better superior. Most whites will not admit this until they're in white caucuses and have really good facilitation and modeling and opportunity to do self-work. Folks of color, folks indigenous, really deserve the space to just be to talk about the daily impact of the racist interpersonal as well as systemic cultural dynamics, the societal dynamics that are impacting them and their families and friends every day, to just breathe and be together, to have a place they can feel empowered, to see themselves in each other, to find some tools and skills to survive and then hopefully thrive in predominantly white and racist organizations. So it's very different outcomes. So if you bring folks together without having the space to do some of the self-work, because folks of color also deserve the space to look at their internalized racism. In a parallel way, as whites believe 
we're taught that whites are better, white ways are better, whiteness is better. Folks of color might absorb those same messages as well as some of the racist attitudes and be believing about themselves, their group, horizontal racism with others. And so to do that work in front of whites is actually dangerous. And so the space to do that work after some initial understanding about racism and systemic oppression, be able to just speak truth to power in racialized, minoritized groups. Talked about that a lot in December in my January shows with Dr. Tanya Williams of Authentic Seeds Consulting. And so if you want to know more particularly about how to create marginalized affinity caucus spaces, you can check out those shows and the brilliant Dr. Tanya Williams. So it might be useful to just pull your equity inclusion folks together and talk about what I'm bringing up. <clears throat> and it might be useful to pause your mixed race work group and design intentional productive spaces for white caucuses and also parallel folks of color, employee resource groups, affinity spaces, if you don't have them yet. This will increase the possibilities that whites might begin to show up more effectively to interrupt and recognize racist microaggressions and really partner to create racially inclusive, high-performing teams and work environments. Increase the whites' capacity to provide exceptional customer service for all not just folks that are white or have white skin privilege. <clears throat> and the systems level, we can prepare whites to have the skills to revise, analyze every practice, policy, program, and service with a race lens to seek out how white culture, white supremacy culture has been embedded into our daily practices and to partner with folk of color, follow the leadership of folk of color as we try to undo all that and recreate, revise, truly inclusive organizations. Now, by now, you're probably asking the question, so why should organizations do it? I've talked about some already, but how do you get leaders to have their support and buy-in for white affinity spaces? To be honest, many whites will resist, and many folks of color will be very skeptical and also might resist the fear of whites getting together without very skilled, thoughtful facilitation and curriculum. I've, <clears throat> sorry, I've got a cold. I've spent six decades on the earth this time, and I have uh, just been studying how people have been trying to disrupt racism in my lifetime as well as for decades, centuries before, trying to change laws, institutions, organizational culture. And the last four years, I've seen a real backlash and actually undoing many of those practices and laws that had made progress. But even with the progress that looked like we've had, we really hadn't made much change. Yes, there's some increase in demographic diversity at the top. You see a few top leaders on boards, leading government, leading organizations, a few more faculty of color, administrators at colleges, universities, a bit more maybe at some K-12 organizations. But the structures and ideologies of organizations just infused with racism, white supremacy beliefs have remained intact. And in these last four years, People have been emboldened to be much more out and visible and mainstreamed about racist white supremacist attitudes and actions. So in this current national culture and climate, why should organizations sponsor whiteness affinity groups? Now, your leaders might be talking the talk about equity inclusion and race, that it's the right thing to do, it's a business thing to do, but they probably won't do more than just talking until they really see how their personal and the organizational future depends on this. And I can't under underscore this enough. You have to get clear your business case, you might call it the leadership case, and you might want to do this collaboratively if you have folk of color, employee resource groups, affinity spaces, your inclusion change teams, your equity inclusion 
leaders collectively come together to get very clear what's the business and leadership case for working with privileged groups, in this case, white. And so recruitment intention is critical. Most senior leaders are caring about the revolving door. It costs thousands of dollars to recruit and train folks of color, and often folks don't stay very long. While your numbers might stay the same, if you really look how long people stay, you have an incredible turnover. And so just come up with cost of turnover for an entry-level, mid-level, senior-level person of color. And leaving because of the racist climate and culture, the barrage of racist interpersonal aggression, and the lack of capacity of leaders and colleagues and managers to interrupt these dynamic shifts them and hold people accountable to do their part to create true inclusion. You may want to look at what are your promotional development practices and find how they continue to perpetuate a very white, homogeneous group that's also not very racially competent. And what are the costs of that to your customer service, your innovation, your creativity, your products and services? Now, some leaders might care about reputation. Can they still attract and retain top talent employees? Or they personally are embarrassed to be associated with an organization that's getting sued over and over for racist discrimination. Now, another leadership case are the shifting demographics emerging markets. Most leaders are aware of how birth rates have been shifting for decades and particularly coming up. And so the financial viability of the organization and them is really dependent upon attracting, retaining, and developing really a cross-race, highly motivated, empowered, developed employee base, and really having customers and clients, whether you're serving in a corporation or nonprofit, students if you're doing in education, to truly have the capacity to serve and develop the needs and increasingly diverse by race, by national origin, uh, I could keep going. And finally, we have to have high-performing, inclusive teams and organizations for that creativity, the wisdom, people energized, inspired to truly keep learning and growing and shifting and changing. That's the world we need. So why should organizations sponsor them? Another reason, people of color in your organizations have been working to fighting and shift this organization for as long as they've been apart. They're exhausted, burned out, still showing up to do great work, but the heavy toll in emotional labor, two jobs, one paycheck, they're tasked with so many race-related responsibilities on top of their everyday job, while whites are not very competent or willing or even held accountable to do this work. Whites have to step up, do the part, or we all will continue to have a downslide as you see many corporations, K-12, colleges, universities really struggling. And so this could be a critical piece of the puzzle, not the only one, but developing the capacity of whites and holding us accountable for change work could be the critical factor to finally creating inclusive organizations. And so what I want to do as we go to break I want to share with you some resources now, and you can get onto my website or you can get onto the radio show, because I want to share some free resources that I already have for you where you can begin to develop these capacities yourselves as facilitators and trainers. And then when we come back, we're going to work and talk about how do you get leader support from the beginning and how do you actually start one, and then what are things to do when you first start an affinity space, what could be some skills and strategies as you move along. That's where we're headed when we come back from break. First thing I'd like you to get is my book, But I'm Not Racist. And you can get that on my website, but you can also get it free download off of the radio show. 
It also comes the second link, drkathyabird.com backslash racebook. All kinds of supplemental resources, including my book launch. I also want to acknowledge that I'm starting on April, tw- uh, sorry, February 28th, leading White Affinity Space as your organization, a live three-session mini course with me. For any questions that you have listening to this in part two, we can delve into in much more detail. And so you can find out about that in any of my courses at drkathyobear.com backslash event. Also on the radio show website is a free webinar, Recognizing and Interrupting Racism in Your Organization, where I give even more information that can be useful for your different change agents. And finally, if you're feeling you don't have the capacity yet to facilitate, designing, facilitating powerful workshops, equity inclusion, social justice, as well as navigating difficult situations are two virtual courses that are just uh, running at any point at any time that you can get access to from my website. So let's take a pause. I'm Dr. Kathy O'Bear, Transformation Change Radio. We're talking about leading white caucuses in your organization, a critical factor to create meaningful change. We'll be back in a few moments. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Steffen each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. We remember a time when you could simply form a thought and it would manifest. The harmony was forgotten, but it is returning now. The Power of Inspiration and Awakening Radio with Julia Griffin on TransformationTalkRadio.com each second and fourth Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific will take you on adventures through the heart and spirit exploring who we once were. This intuitive healer studied under the guidance of wolves, learning from their wisdom to master a higher frequency for a new state of mind. Visit OneTrueSelf.com. Stuck in a roundabout of dysfunction? Stop circling around difficult issues and find out what's been holding you back. Learn how to speak your truth to power with host Dr. Kathy O'Bear. Create real change with smart tools and smart strategies. No frills, no fluff, just life-changing conversations to help get you where you want to be. Extend your reach and become an agent for real change with Kathy O'Bear. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com. Did you know that all of the shows on the Transformation Radio Network are available as podcasts to stream or download? Really? Check us out. Go to transformationradio.fm. We have business shows, spiritual shows, energy healing shows, and pretty much everything in between. Something for everyone guaranteed to inspire, educate, and transform. We are transforming the world one listener at a time. Tune in to Lucid Planet Radio with Dr. Kelly Neff. This hit show will illuminate your senses and empower you beyond your daily stressors and hardships. Renowned psychologist and author Dr. Kelly will captivate you with far-reaching topics and amazing guests as you wake to the greatest version of yourself. Learn to tap into your intuitions, think critically about our world, heal emotional and psychological wounds, and follow your passions to live your dreams. The Lucid Planet. Welcome home. Visit lucidplanetradio.com for more information. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. 
tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit burnbrighttoday.com. So welcome back. How do you design and facilitate white affinity spaces in your organization? I'm Dr. Kathy Bear with Transformation Change Radio, and this is part one. So how do you actually start? What I would suggest, is you contact who are the folks that are already doing equity inclusion work in your organization and start to do some conversations, some partnering. There might be a vice president for institutional diversity inclusion. There might be an equity inclusion task force. You actually might have some caucus groups or employee resource groups for marginalized folks of color. Often there might be one for black African American or assistant Canada, so African Canadian folks. There often might be a Latino, Latino, Latinx, sometimes Asian, Asian American, sometimes indigenous, sometimes multiracial. So finding who is already doing some of this work and are there some white executives that you've heard passionately talking about equity and inclusion and maybe even creating racially just organizations. So find a few of the whites that are interested in organizing and then map out who does everybody know like in a spider web. And then start talking about what are you wanting to do. Now, because this might be your first privilege group, just anticipate there could be lots of skepticism, resistance. And so you may first want to get very clear what we talked about earlier, what are your intentions and outcomes. So what I might do is connect with the conveners and leaders of marginalized affinity spaces with the VP of institutional diversity, possibly maybe some task force members. And so have a conversation and and see if they're willing to meet with you to, for you to begin to share, here's why we think this is important, so that you know, whites begin to gather and deepen their own capacity to be effective allies and accomplices and ask for their support. Now, I want to be very clear that folks are giving you time, wisdom, energy, and so say we'd love to be able to compensate barter now or over time this great insight you're giving us. And so it's not help us, teach us, but we're modeling partners in the beginning. I think you're going to have very similar goals, not only the organization, but these employee resource group affinity spaces, creating high-performing, racially inclusive teams, serving increasingly racially diverse clientele, hiring, retaining, promoting incredible talent that reflects our clients now and in the future, and mobilizing the rest of the organization to be active contributors and developers of a racially inclusive organization. So when these colleagues of color and some of your white colleagues really hear that you're very aligned with strategic organizational goals, then you can say, so we've identified some leaders we could work with. Are there other leaders, middle managers that you think we could talk to? We're looking for some sponsors. We're needing people to help us think about marketing and strategy. And we truly would love to stay connected to you so that all along the way, we keep you informed, we're transparent, because the common trap that often we do in our privileged identity, in this case white, is we go on our own. We think we know what's best, and we should just push through without partnering. And We have to do it on our own because we have so much white privilege, and that's just going to be creating all kinds of problems in the beginning. If you don't partner, 
then you're not preparing the leaders, you're not preparing the organizations, and you're not learning with other folks, particularly indigenous and people of color who have incredible wisdom that might be willing to share traps they fell into. Plus, you're asking them for input. If you could wave a magic wand, what would you want us talking about and doing in these white caucuses? And do you have any thoughts for how we can help market it? Again, they're not doing it for you. It's a collaborative partnership. And some folks of color might be like, I am so stretched, but you might find some others. Now, you might also want to see what's in the region. Are there some colleagues of color that are doing this work, either as consultants and or running community groups that might be willing to meet with you for, again, some bartering and sharing of resources, time, space, workshops you can do for them. Now, another way to till the soil and get the organization ready and to start is to make sure the organizers, the ones that are working to convene this, have a really good understanding of your data. You can partner with HR. You can partner with eco-inclusion leaders to find what is survey data, focus group data around the climate, recruiting, retention, engagement, the attitudes and behaviors of whites, common racist, interpersonal aggressions. You can gather those through the change team. You can gather those in the race workshops you do run. You might be able to ask if you have employee resource groups of color, if they'd be willing to collect up some generic ones that might not only be used by training and development of workshops, but you might be able to use in your white affinity spaces, so that you get very clear in the business case that's grounded in your organization. Now, to get interest as well as some of this data, you might want to do several workshops on race and racism because then you might have more folks saying we need more. It can show the need and gather interest. So whether you do awareness and skill building sessions or whether you do panels, in them you can really announce your intention to have a parallel racial affinity space for whites and people with white skin privilege to eventually partner more with your employee resource groups affinity spaces of color. Now you might be thinking we don't have any in our organization. So then you may want to start talking to college of color and say, have you thought about having an employee resource group and affinity space? Are there ways we can share some of the insights we're gathering? The December and January radio shows that I did with Tanya to support them developing and maybe do it together, parallel groups. And then while you're doing this work, just keep gathering names of interested whites. If we can have on an email list that may not be public, as well as you might be marketing others. Now, a couple of the grassroots approaches that might be less challenging to the status quo. So if your organization is very early in their organizational development around equity in general, much less race, then you may want to start a book club. Most folks cannot argue with movie clubs, video clubs. And so gather people that might be interested and just start learning together. Now, there are all kinds of resources today. It may just be some articles and chapters. There's tons of materials on the web. Uh, my book is free. You can have thousands of people download my book, but I'm not racist. And I intentionally wrote that for folks to help whites that want to facilitate caucuses deep in their own learning. And then in there, I really talk about specifically how I lead those SJTI ones and the activities that I do. I'm working on a follow-up book where I'm going to go much more in depth that may not be out for a month, but I'm hoping my mini course that I'm starting February 28th will give folks that are ready or already leading much more resources. So other books, 
I'm hearing organizations are reading Dr. Robin D'Angelo's White Fragility. That one is more moderate to advanced, in my opinion, and may send a lot of whites into white fertility, but you may have whites that are ready for that. So think about, could you offer several different readings? Uh, Ijiomo Olumo, O-L-U-O. So what do you, so you want to talk about race. So you want to talk about race. Book that's out recently, I believe she also has a podcast, so you could actually use some of the podcasts. Austin Channing Brown, I believe, has a podcast as well, and her book's I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness, I think could be a great one for whites. And again, if you folks that are more advanced, I love Carol Anderson's White Rage, a lot about history and to see how the centuries of the patterns of racism and white supremacy are playing out today. Filled in a lot of holes for me. Uh, and again, know your audience and maybe start, to be honest, I think my, my book, uh, is the one that might be most accessible to whites who are just starting out. Now, another way to get buy-in is just do a pilot, a chain strategy in your department, your division, where you have support. So start a white affinity space there. It could be, you know, six to eight sessions where you start with a book club and then you do some of the activities I offer in the book. Test it out. See if it's useful. Get some people talking about what they're learning and then keep going. And always, whatever you do, partnering with established employee resource groups, change teams, as well as senior EDI officers and a couple of white execs just to get some leadership support. So you might be now having the question, so what are some goals intended outcomes? So again, it depends on the organization's development, if how racially just already is, and where your whites are, especially those that are willing. Now, you're going to have the early adapters that may be further along, but as you keep going, you might get more and more folks that are more of that middle group and then you may need to back up your competencies that you're, you're scaffolding. And again, I'll talk more in part two as well as in my mini course. Most whites I encounter vastly need just basic foundational awareness of what is race, what is racism, common racist dynamics that are happening inside, outside the organization, and then a lot of skill building to recognize and interrupt this interpersonal level before they're even ready to tackle organizational climate culture policies. Research shows there is still a huge gap. Most whites still think people of color are treated pretty well, and they talk about, look how far we've come. One research article I read just yesterday said there was a 40-point percentage gap in folks of color saying, no, the life we're experiencing inside this organization and outside the racism, we have so far to go. So one way is really do some pre-assessment. So asking folks of color, multiracial indigenous folks, what they would love whites to be able to do differently, and then get a group of willing whites, whether they're your colleagues and friends, you do a, a race workshop and have whites in a group brainstorm, um, or those who have already signed up. Here are some key questions in pre-assessment. Why do you want to participate? Have them talk or write about that. What are some questions you have? This will give you some idea of where to start. And then really ask, what's your current understanding of race and racism in our organization, in our region and community, and in society? That question has really helped us at SJCI differentiate whites that just are talking the talk and whites that have a little better understanding so we can select those that are more ready for our in-depth, intentional experience. Ask them, what are your hopes and concerns? What do you want to learn and grow? And what are you concerned about? And then you can use that same pre-assessment, whether it's in person or you're doing a survey, 
to share. So here's our intentions and our expectations for participants. We're really wanting to support us learning and growing and deepening our capacity. And so to do that, we need people who are willing to attend all the sessions unless they're sick or it's an emergency, and that they really show up authentic and willing to learn, unlearn, relearn, and grow. You might notice that this is also <clears throat> tilling the soil. You're kind of marketing already to those that might be willing to participate as you're doing a pre-assessment. Now, on my website, as well as in my book and on the website for the Transformation Change Radio, one of the free resources is my suggested competencies for white allies and change agents. This is where I have, I think, 96 competencies that I want whites to be able to do, all leaders as well as all members of the organization. And so you could use this as a pre-assessment. Now, 96 may feel overwhelming to some folks that are still deciding. But you could say, this is what we're designing and it may take us a year to get through all these, but here are 20 that we think might be where we start. And so you could pick out 20. I organize them in the four competencies, knowledge, self-awareness, skills, action, creating change, application. I use a one to five scale, to be honest. I'm probably going to broaden it to zero to 10. So you might want to, to get a little more differentiation. And you can ask people to notice what they're pretty good at already, their strengths, and maybe five areas they'd like to focus on in the White Caucus. So all of these will give you lots more ideas of where to start because the truth is, even if you do a pre-assessment, whoever shows up may not be ready for what you have to offer. And so you'll have to change and morph to meet them where they are and then evolve over time. So you need to get clear as leaders, what are your intentions? Start where they are, get the input from folk of color, and then know that you're going to have to flex and flow literally in every session as well as redo your curriculum possibly based on what happened in each session. And we'll talk more about this in the mini course. You may want to also do that suggested competencies as a midpoint and an endpoint to help people see how much they're growing and to readjust what they want you doing. So how do you really get started the marketing? I would really get some executive sponsors and champions and help them, as well as the EDI leaders, help you think through how to do it. Now, these champions, at a minimum, source of support, advice, can help you navigate resistance and roadblocks with other leaders. And if they can participate in the first one, it just sends an incredible message to the whole organization. So as you think about marketing, you've really got to talk about the why. I talked about that earlier. How are... Are organizational goals aligned with racially just organizations? How do we need whites to deepen their capacity and why and get that out there? And then talk about your how and what. We're going to build a learning community where we learn about race and racism, and we're going to do our own self-work and healing work where we recognize racist attitudes, behaviors in ourselves and others, and we get the courage to explore, unlearn, shift them, heal them, Get honest about racist stereotypes we've learned and maybe still hold on to and ways of shifting them in the moment, new ways of being white in this organization. We change our daily behaviors, learn to speak up, interrupt. So I would get this detailed because a lot of skepticism out there. And so the more detailed you can get, whether you have a couple quick videos of the organizers sharing, here's why I want to do it, and they talk about it. You put it out into marketing blurbs. You have a website where you're very clearly purpose. We're interrupting racial microaggressions, interpersonal aggressions, 
shifting policies programs so that we really create greater inclusion. Now, people are going to know what they're signing up for, so the number of sessions, when they start, where, how, all those details. But I'd start with the why and the how and the what, and then expectations again to participate, be there, and be willing to do work. You also want to give out emails if you want to know more, your questions. Uh, here's some confidential spaces we can talk. You may want to hold a couple open sessions where people can come and learn more, people they can contact personally. Now, as you start this, this intraweb, I'd also say, and as we do these wide affinity spaces, we will regularly put out onto this intraweb what we're learning. We're going to share all the resources we're using so anyone in the organization can access. We're going to share what we've been talking about. We might even share you the outlines we've been going through so that everybody can see and we have some accountability about what we're doing. And we'll also talk about what we're personally learning and how we're personally trying to change. And so people without names, we may share that. This transparent accountability is critical because as you do two, three, four of these over a year, you'll get more and more folks in if you're able to show some individual change as well as maybe some case studies where people said, I went back to my unit and we changed these three policies and here's the outcomes we have. Always be inviting resources. So even in your initial marketing, say, if you have books, articles, videos, please, especially if they're two or three minutes long, share them. We want to continue to build a, a whole resource on our intro website that we'll use over the next year or two, but people can get on and watch them on their own. And then, of course, how to join us now in future groups. So whether it's newsletters, employee emails, all kinds of workshops, um, having your HR people, your trained development people, all the supervisors know about you, any, any inclusion partners. Everybody needs to know what's going on and be out there marketing. And clearly the folks in any of the ERGs and uh, people of color affinity spaces, they're knowing what's going on too. So you may want some conversation starters. In a part two, I'll do much more about curriculum. But how do you create that authentic learning community from the beginning uh, so that there's deep, engaged dialogue, cascading, deepening honesty and growth? So after you welcome people, talk about why it's important to you as facilitators, I'd get them quickly into pairs, maybe trios, talk about their passion, their commitment for creating racially inclusive organizations. And leave them alone a little while and then talk as a large group. Then I have them maybe talk about with a different partner, what's possible? What do you think we can do as an organization, especially as we show up more effective as whites partnering with people of color following their leadership? What's your vision of what a racially inclusive organization could look like? We have to get people into the possibility because it's going to be a lot of hard work. And so the energy that's generated by what's possible. People, again, are getting to know each other as you're doing these dyads and share outs. Hoped for benefits as we really learn here and then be better sharing with other whites and changing our capacity to interrupt racist dynamics and partner people of color to create programs and services and products, changing the climate and the culture. What's going to be the benefit? So those are three important ways that you can start. And then they're getting a flavor for what this is about. So, you, so, so how are you feeling about participating in this space? Hear that out. And then some hopes and concerns. What have you experienced in other white spaces, whiteness spaces, any bumps, concerns, dynamics that happened that weren't helpful? Here's some of those out. And then you can share, here's how we'll be similar but different. Not similar as in bumps, 
and concerns necessarily, but here's our intentions and our hope for outcomes, and here's how we're going to work together. After that, really co-creating your engagement agreements. How do we want to be together? And again, in the different, uh, in my book, as well as different resources on my website, I have a whole list of ones that I suggest, and really including how are we going to deal when we hit a hot button, we hit a trigger, when we start to have some disagreement and conflict, because White affinity spaces often fall back into white fragility and the tendency to smooth other differences, avoid conflict, not engage honestly. And so to talk early about how can we help each other learn, not leave anyone behind, so be really honest, not play gotcha, you know, not that deep confrontation, who's the racist in the room, but instead how can we relate in and really practice new ways of being as whites and people with white skin privilege creating a new culture here where we support each other, honestly engaging each other, but not being dishonest. And so I want to spend just the last few minutes beginning to talk about what are some of those early activities that I might suggest with a caveat. There's no order. Who are the people? What do they need? And after you create some more learning community through those eight activities I just suggested or so, then I do believe you start with self-awareness. I think it's a trap to start with knowledge, though if your group is, I don't even know what race is or racism, you may do some of that. But the trap of whites to intellectualize, conceptualize, and think knowledge is the answer, what I would do is avoid that and start with some self-awareness because they can learn knowledge through storytelling. And so I'd start with socialization and have them gain insights, build more trust, relationships with each other, learn to see themselves in each other, and really learn. I can learn from other whites and other folks with white skin privilege. I can learn about racism and white supremacy culture through our own experiences. So that's the process goals by starting with self-awareness. So I just want to, last few minutes, to share maybe eight prompts that I like, and then I'll talk about what we'll do in part two. Asking when did you first realize you were white or had white skin privilege, and what did that mean to you? That could be a powerful small group conversation or a dyad. And again, always give people a chance to reflect and write down first. When do you remember interacting with people of your own race and other races, and what were your experiences or not? Again, reflect, share. Number three. When do you remember realizing that people were treated differently based on skin color and racialized identity? That in itself could be a whole session. Or what were the prevailing messages around you about all these different groups? And how and talk about what they learned in school, what kind of books they read, how their peers interacted, family messages, and that would be extended family, a holiday gathering for sure. TV, media, songs, movies, religious teaching, all kinds of institutions. So what did you learn? doesn't mean you believe them, but what were the messages? Share those, and then how do those persist today? Now, some whites might stumble and not want to name the racist behaviors, racist stereotypes, but that is a critical skill. We can't notice it in a policy or a practice if we can't get honest and say, Around me, these were the images of people who are biracial, people that are indigenous and native. These were the images I saw. People who were Arab and Muslim, these were. And notice I converged Arab and Muslim, but that's what happened in our U.S. for the 90s, but particularly since 9-11. Uh, people assumed to be 
from a Middle Eastern company, com- country, Arab, incredible Islamophobia, and that's how it gets talked about. So that's also a key competency of facilitators. Now, a fifth tool might be give people paper and have them draw a map of their neighborhood and school. So through drawing who was in their family, friends, within a few blocks, who was in their schools as leaders and colleagues, um, what were their social, recreational, religious activities demographically by race, and also was race ever talked about in any of these? And so reflecting can be powerful self-awareness and share those. Um, you can also do drawings about what were some of the messages you learned and how, so different learning mod- modalities. Um, and then six, how were people of these different racialized groups treated, depicted, talked about? What is it all? Now, this one, someone had to teach me because I did not have this experience. Number seven, when, if at all, did you experience any dissonance? Did you ever question what you were taught, what the messages were about race? I just absorbed them. And again, I insulated myself. I'm a good white. It's those other bad whites, whites that are racist. And then finally, my two favorites. And this really starts to get internalized dominance. When do you remember realizing that whites as a group believe they were superior to people of color, people of biracial, multiracial, indigenous people, believe whites were smarter, better leaders, more competent? It don't start with that one. But after some of these others, folks might be ready to get honest. And then the next one, when do you remember that you, sometime in your life, believed whites were smarter, better than to people of color, biracial, multiracial folks, indigenous people, and honest engagement in a pair and then sharing in a group. Always leaders modeling what you're looking before you ask them to share it. So take a deep breath. <clears throat> what I've shared so far I might get you through three, four, five sessions. <clears throat> when we come back to part two, we're going to be talking about how do we then scaffold beyond there. What I know is I've heard far too many stories of ineffective white affinity spaces, and it's critical we get clear in our intentions, we get the organization ready, and we work collaboratively with partners, peers, sponsors to develop these groups to truly create racially just organizations where whites show up capable, partnering with others, following leadership to advance organizational goals. So the resources, again, Go on to my website, drkathyrebaird.com backslash events. You can learn about my new three-session mini-course, Leading White Affinity Spaces, starting February 23rd, where you're live with me, as well as many more resources. The webinar you'll see on my site, as well as Transformation Change Radio, Recognizing and Interrupting Racism in Organization. And then please start reading my free book. You can get it on Amazon, but why? But I'm not racist tools for well-meaning whites, and lots of other resources off of my website to start thinking about a curricula to get going. And then join me March 2nd, where I'll do part two, where we start to look much more about how could we scaffold these tools and skills, what's some of the resistance we're going to get from the organization and from participants, and how can you resolve that, engage it effectively. And most of them can answer any of your questions. So, on my website, kathyberry.com backslash contact, send me any questions or personally send me an email, kathy at drkathyobear.com. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Dr. Kathy Obear on Transformation Talk Radio. 
Thanks for tuning in, and be sure to catch us next time as Kathy inspires listeners to become agents of change, motivate, innovate, and speak truth to power. Step into the courageous you that will change the world. Connect to life-changing conversations to extend your reach. For more information on Kathy and her work, please visit drkathyobear.com. That's drkathyobear.com.